In this week's episode, we'll be discussing sexual reproduction in fish. While we feel that it is important for people of all ages to learn about the science of reproduction, we're really immature and we'll probably get a bit blue in our discussion. So consider this your content warning for mature content ahead. This podcast is brought to you by The Remora. Ever had a friend ask you if you're finished with your meal and you give them the last of your french fries? Ever have that friend then attach themselves to you for hours on end, waiting for you to eat again and hoping for crumbs? You've got yourself a remora. Also, you might be a shark. <laughs> Hello, I'm sorry. Hello and welcome, guys, to another fun episode, episode six of Getting Fishy With It. I'm Josh. I'm Christine. And I'm Amber. And today we are going to continue part two of fish reproduction. But before we do that, we're going to get into what's new with everyone. Christine, you want to start? Sure. So I got back a couple of weeks ago from I went up to Alaska on a cruise. That was a lot of fun. Pretty awesome. If you get a chance to go up there, go. Uh, we basically just went looking for I wanted to see two things. I wanted to see orca, mm -hmm. which not a fish. I, my apologies. <laughs> You're not allowed to mention orcas on the pod. Sorry. <laughs> I don't even care that much for cetaceans, but it was just cool to see them in the wild, you know? So I did a bunch of research beforehand to know where they were and like was ready and waiting at the spot where they were supposed to show up. And then they did. And I freaked out and cried a little bit. <laughs> um, the other, yeah. The other thing I saw was uh, I saw tufted puffins, which I wanted to see, which was cool. Again, not Aww. a fish not a fish oh, cool but yeah so that they're was really fun. cute yeah they're they're ridiculously cute and they're i like mean only in the north right yeah guys? yeah okay. for sure and they look a little different from like the atlantic puffins they have little weird tufts of feathers on their heads so um didn't see much in the way of fish it was early in the season so no like salmon run or anything but that's okay um saw lots of sea otters as well which i guess is some people's oh, jam lots I love and lots sea of otters sea that makes mm. one of us. I yeah, know. especially you when don't they like hold that. hands together. <laughs> oh my I gosh! I don't. Not a big fan of like otters in general. They're just meh. Not Have you thing. seen? There's like a there's like a video of like they put like a fake otter out, like a like a koi otter. I don't know. It's like a decoy otter that's like yeah. like motorized <laughs> and like yeah. like send it out and it has a camera on it. And like the otters are kind of like checking it out and they're still doing. They're like hitting the oyster against their <laughs> belly. <laughs> I think I have seen that. It's like one of those like undercover wildlife camera things. Yeah, 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 totally. But yeah, it, anyway, it was an awesome trip. I had a great time. Um, and I. Can't wait to go again sometime. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Amber, what about you? So this week is my last week school. Oh yeah! So I will be graduating on Ooh. Sunday. Congrats on my birthday! Yeah. Awesome. All right, future Amber, put in a clapping thing. You're gonna have a clap right here, like a clapping sound effect. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> or I'll just start playing the graduation music. <laughs> yes, actually, that's better. Do you also have a June birthday? I do. I am also a June birthday person. So, <gasps> what's oh, yours? Really? The end of June. June 29th is my birthday. Oh, gotcha. Mine's Where's June 11th. It? Oh, nice. Wait, oh, so, so Christine, you're a cancer then, yes? Like yes, me. I am. Yeah. Amber, are you not? Is that too early? I don't know when. What is it? What I, are you? I am a Gemini. Yeah. Oh, but still, we're basically, and I was born in, in July. So, like, we're, we're all like around that same. Oh, wow. Uh, summertime, you know? Weird. Or, well, I guess you're technically spring, but like, we, we will adopt you into summer, Amber. 
this is summer, right? Isn't June eleventh? <laughs> yeah, no, June eleventh. Isn't that the doesn't the solstice not until the twentieth? Oh, is it in June? Oh. I don't know. I'm not a witch. What? I thought. <laughs> Yeah, you know when we all go out to the harvest moon and we bow to it. Yeah. <laughs> I add that to my calendar. Is that a new thing we're gonna start doing as a group? Uh-huh. I'll add it to my calendar right now. It is almost midsummer fast. Oh. Yes. Okay. Well, I apologize if I'm wrong about that, Amber, but either way, you are a summer baby like we are, and we accept you. Yes. <laughs> Thank and you. Sorry, continue about your graduation and everything. Feel free Please. to yeah. Oh, I am freaking old. So I decide not to do the commencement, which is like, it's with like, I guess the day school people because I'm like the night school people. So we're a little oh. bit weird. But I just decide to do like my own like program, I guess. And so I'll be walking with those guys and yeah, had to pay for my cap and gown, which is ridiculous. It was like $100. Wow. Mm. And I'm never going to use it again after this. Yeah, but you are going to walk or you did walk? You Yeah, so I am going to walk that day. So, okay. yeah, so this Sunday. Um, oh, this yeah, Sunday. just walk. Yep. We want to see photos. <laughs> we want to see photos, please. Right. Yes, I was definitely send you guys photos, but I'm just glad to be finished. And now I can just live my life and work for the rest of my days. <laughs> yes, until we die. <laughs> yep. <laughs> What's the degree in? Uh, it's just a degree in biology. Oh, nice. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That's also um, what I have. That's Yay. me too. <laughs> yeah, I learned nothing about fish, but it's okay. I don't think I learned much about fish in undergrad either. Like I had, a, I think I had like a couple classes here and there, but like not as many as I would have wanted to, but that's how it goes sometimes. Um, it's okay. That's why we have these jobs. So, and this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Yay. Absolutely. We learn stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about you, Josh? So for me, let's see, what did I do? Uh, okay, yeah, this weekend was a bit of a bit of a blur. I did not like um, have much time to relax. Actually, I went to one of my um, my one of my coworkers, who's kind of like my work mom. She's wonderful, and her. I went to her parents' birthday party because they are turning a hundred, and the other one's turning ninety eight. Oh my and god! They're both wonderful people, wow. and yeah. So I went down to Plainfield, New Jersey, to like uh, wow. celebrate with them, which was so cool. It's amazing, like how full of life they are um at that age. Like they're just so like like Jess and I walked in, and like immediately like. Um, my coworker's mom was just like, there's the newlyweds. Like she remembered that we got married last year. Like she just like remembered a lot of stuff, which is r- really cool. Um, and then yesterday we did um uh my my wife's recitals for her business uh in New York uh happened. So there was like four recitals back to back, which was like we were all so exhausted. Um, but it was really it was so heartening to see all these kids perform and to see the talent and like it was just like a buzz with like pride and happiness. It was, it was lovely. So I was, everyone was very touched. It was very emotional and um, loved it. It was so great to see like the hard work of everyone paying off in these recitals. So uh, yeah, it's not like work. It really does feel like just like, it's fun to do, even though I'm like a volunteer. (laughs) It's super fun. So yeah, nothing fish related, but it was good. (laughs) Nice. Cool. All right. 
Well, should we get started on the episode part two? Yes. All right. Part dose. Um, so we're going to get into Now, this time we're going to talk about saltwater fish reproduction for the most part. Uh, and right off the bat, we're going to talk about semel parity, um, which is common in salmonids among, amongst other species, uh, which just basically means you spawn and you die. So uh, who wants to take this away? Yeah, so I can, I guess I'll start. Uh, so uh, semel parity, I cannot say that. Semel parity? Parity? I think that sounds right. I yeah. think that's good, yeah. It's something like that. So it comes from the Latin word semel, which means once a single time, and then pot, uh, which means to beget. Um, it's also known as the Big Bang reproduction. So like, as Josh said, they just kind of spawn and then you just die. Um, so what would be the benefit of this? So all the male's energy is diverted to mating. And so apparently this represses the immune system, which leads to a high level of corticosteroids, uh, which are steroids that are involved in stress responses. And so they maintain this high level for long periods of time. And I guess towards the end, this triggers an immune and inflammatory system failure, along with gastrointestinal hemorrhage, which I did not know. But that's what eventually leads them to die. Interesting. Mm. Wow, they're like trumped up. That's yeah. crazy. They like yeah. change. I think like Salonas anyway, they change a lot too. Like the males get like totally wild looking. I think so. Like, yeah, like steelheads and stuff like that. I think it's steelheads, but I could be wrong about that. There's, yeah, they, they like completely change shape in the manner of like, matter of like, I don't know how long. It's very quick, but they go from like kind of looking like what you think is like a regular fish to this weirdly shaped mouth and they turn really red, like that red and green color that we see when mm -hmm. we see like basically I feel like everyone has seen it because if you ever seen like any footage of like bears waiting for salmon to jump and eat them like that, they're all that color and they're just like feasting. But I guess what that that's just like such a, an influx of uh, of that uh, of those steroids, right, that causes that transformation. Yeah, and like um they get like the uh the big hump on their back too, and they'll get those big teeth, kind of like a big hooked mouth with teeth. Yes. Um we learned a little bit about that. Like when we not to keep going back to my trip to Alaska, because <laughs> no, this is pretty fitting. I but feel we like. actually learned yeah. about like the five different species that are commonly found, at least in like southeast Alaska, and like how they change. And it's it's wild. They look completely different. And uh, they don't eat at all at that point. I think they're just basically that might be why their guts start to bleed, too. Yeah, which is like really crazy. But I guess they only do this. So they hang out, it seems like in the ocean for a bit. And then this occurs when they're going upstream to mate with other fish. Yep, absolutely. And they're basically really awesome. going back to like, where they were laid as babies right like that's their goal is they're trying to go back to where they originally were spawned as little embryos yeah i think so, I think so. yeah yeah so that's because that's where they start right and they sort of like make their way i think that they actually stay i feel like they stay so they hatch they somehow make their way downstream we should look more into the life cycle but we're really just talking about repro today um so we can we can get into life cycle some other time mm -hmm. um but yeah, it's pretty insane how they're able to transform like that. I put a link in the chat too. If you go there, you could see like the, it has like a nice, if you guys just Google like salmon transformation, like anyone who's listening, like it's crazy. Like it'll show you like what the what kind of adult that sea looks like. It looks like your typical fish. And then what the male spawner looks like. And it's just like insane. Like, I don't even know. Yeah. It's like this hooked mouth. Mm -hmm. So they like Hulk out. <laughs> <Yep>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yep, absolutely. And the, yeah, they get this big hump on their back. And then there are some like one species of salmon that are just called humpies, I think, too. It's just humpies. like they get a big hump That's on their for back. multiple reasons. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yes, good thing for that content warning ahead of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep, absolutely. Um, and uh, I, I think trout may do some of this as well. Um, but I'm not sure about because there are some trout that will live in fresh water or in salt water as well, but they mm-hmm. can also get a little funky as far as like the elongated mouth and like just a kind of surge of hormone. And because uh, we've seen it occasionally when I worked with trout, a rainbow trout, we would see the odd one that just like decided to change back to male because these are all like they're treated to become female a lot of the farmed fish and so we had them on in our facility and then occasionally you just have this one that just like would have this big long beak kind of and it'd be like oh what happened to you it's like oh i guess you just (laughs) your hormones just decided to do something different which is that's cool it's fine we just can't use you anymore sorry buddy so yeah (laughs) and do you guys think that's this all is contributing to like their reproductive fitness and so just having those going through those like morphological changes um, to potentially like find a mate. I think so. I think like the males, like what we were told anyway, was that the males get this big, like funky mouth with these pointy teeth in part for sparring with other males. Oh, okay. That would make yeah. sense. Yeah. And I think like, we're going to talk later about like sneaker males and stuff. I think we see a little bit of that with these guys too, but I don't, I'm not too well-versed on it where you have the, the ones that look a little more female or they're smaller and they'll sneak in to try to fertilize eggs surreptitiously. Ooh, nice word. Try to use words and then I'm falling over my own face. Salmon titiously. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think also like there's a, there's that, um, you know, like safety and numbers sort of thing is like pretty paramount here. So just the idea that these fish are swimming like upstream, at least in the case of Salmonids, but like, you know, whenever that's the case, they're all getting together in a giant group and spawning. Like it just means that a, there's a ton of uh, eggs in the water. So less likely that a few of them will get picked off. Same with the actual fish themselves. And then also there's probably like a level of um, great genetic diversity because, you know, if they get together and spawn with different animals as opposed to just there's only a few up there right like you get a chance for so many different combinations of uh, babies to occur so genetically i think it's really healthy for the animals for sure i do wonder what happens though when you have like the same groups of animals going to the same places to spawn do you know what i mean is that how you end up with speciation or like subspecies where you know some animals are going to certain tributaries and you know those tributaries are changing because of anthropogenic reasons or whatever um, just regular change of, you know, uh, environments, are those animals ending up slightly different and selected differently than fish on a different tributary somewhere else? This is maybe too much to talk about on the reproduction this is good, issue. This is our ecology episode. Add it to the notes. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, all right. Anything else on, uh, on Semel parody? Not for okay. me. Great. All right, let's move on. So we're going to talk about homosexual behavior to attract females. So this is, I don't know anything about this, but like I, I trust um, <laughs> one of you guys can school me. <laughs> I had found a paper about it in um, just in general in animal behavior, um, a paper from like 10 years ago about um, how basically homosexual behavior is found in most like extant animal clades currently in the animal kingdom across the across the board Mm. um but it i guess these scientists are confused about why it's a thing because they're probably straight white guys (laughs) 
<laughs> Shout out to our straight white guys, most of our listeners. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You're Uh-oh. fine. Thank, thank you for listening. But yeah, there's thoughts that potentially these behaviors in fish as well can have um, uh, can increase the fitness of males, basically because like the females are using kind of the social information of like how the males are interacting with each other, um, you know, whether they're copying the behaviors of other males that maybe are larger than them or potentially more dominant than them. So this study was actually done with, I think it was like Mexican guppies, Pacilia Mexicana, right? Oh, so the not Amazon mollies, but the Pacific mollies, right? Or okay. something like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did you have more info about this that you wanted to share um oh wait sorry that's atlantic mollies oh Um, but yeah i kind of looked into it Mm -hmm. as well and i thought it was like really interesting that i guess like for the amazon molly because i looked more into that but i guess those in particular are unisexual and they're also live bearing clonal fish and so i know they're not saltwater fish these are freshwater fish some of them live in brackish i believe is what i yeah, read mo- mollies are Mollies pretty, can do everything yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but i thought it was really interesting that it, they're not only unisexual so there's only one sex but they're also clonal so like bacteria um, with binary fission so like they can clone their own genetic material and so these fish can do the same thing which is like really interesting um, but I guess they display some sort of like uh, this like homosexual behavior, especially amongst the males, um, where part of their mate- mating ritual is like nipping at the genital areas of the females. But I guess like in cert- in some studies, they've shown that like the females develop the same attraction for the males that perform this mating ritual on other males. And so I was like, oh, that's really interesting that it's just another, I guess, added layer to like for the female fish when they're assessing whether like the quality of their mate. And so they're like, oh, okay, I see this other male kind of, you know, going for, you know, other males and performing the mating ritual. And so that somehow increases their attraction to them. Interesting. Uh, I did want to clarify binary fission is like a direct splitting of the cells. It's not, I don't know if if that's quite, I just want, I just don't want us to get emails, but I think that Binary yeah. fission is actually. <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? Email us if you want to. Please email us. Be, be nice. Thank. Be gentle nah, with you, us, please. You can be mean to me. I'm. I'm happy to be mean. Be mean <laughs> no, to. No, it's um, totally fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just, I think that it's just the actual act of like splitting, um, you know, separation of a body into two new bodies, which is not quite what happens with these guys but it is ostensibly the same thing happening maybe genetically Uh, i don't i don't know exactly but i don't know just something that i wanted to clarify i guess so for sure yeah no problem that was just like one example that i saw when i was trying to figure out like oh what does that mean like clonal fish because Mm -hmm. i never heard of that before and so but what you're saying is probably correct Mm -hmm. yes i mean at the end of the day they're just they're able to i guess create create life by just i mean i assume the the uh, the gametes are just able to duplicate and start uh turning into an embryo without needing anything else so yeah just it's clonal so yeah it basically has the exact same dna as the as the parent which is which is awesome so lucky for them i mean they Mm -hmm. don't get the genetic diversity i guess if they do that but at the same time like you can produce babies without needing a mate which is great Mm -hmm. yeah for sure. It's interesting that what uh, you had found, Amber, was the others, one of the other species of molly as well. So I guess this is commonly observed, at least in molly species, um, because the ones I was looking at was the Mexicana species. So, mm. yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. So just to be clear, the the homosexual behavior, how is that? Because like I think at the end of the day, fish behavior is always like about proving fitness, right? Like if you're looking at betta fish, it's like, wow, this betta did such a good job making a bubble nest. Like he's gonna make a great father. <laughs> <laughs> so like, what exactly does this do to like enhance fitness? Is it just showing that they're capable of like copying? And I I really don't know exactly, but maybe you don't have that answer. But that's me. As, as someone who doesn't know that much. Well, the, the paper that I was looking at, they were basically just demonstrating that like the females were more attracted to the males that were not just uh, interacting with like opposite sex fish, but they were just as attracted to males that were basically going through the motions of reproduction with mm. males as well. So okay. it, it didn't really matter which sex they were interacting with. Um, it was just kind of like, yeah, he knows what he's doing. That's cool. <laughs> Let's get in on that. I like yeah. I like how experienced he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, very cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think we can move on to sneaker males. So just to be clear, this isn't males, male fish that like sneakers, right? This isn't like they're wearing the new Air Jordans and showing it off to the ladies. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That's not uh, not my thing. So maybe you guys. But... <laughs> <laughs> I used to be in the sneakers and shoes, but I don't know. I, I, I grew up and I stopped caring about that stuff. <laughs> I would never walk across grass. Like I would just like be like, nope. Like people really? try to get me. Oh, yeah, boy. because I had like nice like you know like nice sneakers and i would use like the white polish to keep them white and it was just it's so annoying <laughs> wow so you're you're a former sneaker male i'm a former sneaker male yeah i don't know what i am now maybe i'm on the list here we'll see <laughs> <laughs> for sure so amber did you want to talk about sneaker males it looks like you got a fair amount of info about them unless you want me to chat yeah. about them go ahead so if you can jump in whatever you want yeah sure we will. Don't worry. Yeah. And help ourselves. <laughs> but sneaker males are basically like the non-dominant males. And so in a lot of species, you'll see that there's like this one dominant male that has like a harem of female like fish or whatever type of species you're looking at. And so they kind of like, you know, dominate like I guess, like the breeding game in that case. And so, you know, their DNA is getting passed on to like future generations. But with some species, um, not just with fish, but I think and also in maybe reptiles. Um, I think so. Because I've seen, yeah. So you'll have like these sneaker males. And so uh, males that kind of just like, given the name, just kind of sneak in and they try and get their genetic material, you know, they try and mate with the female, get their genetic material out there. And there's a theory called game theory, uh, which is a mathematical approach to saying behavior that solves for optimal decision strategies by proposing individuals compete for a desired outcome. And so it basically determines like how successful a behavior is against others and whether that can pervade across a population. And so in this case, the benefits to being a sneaker um, male is that uh, the sneakers can invest more in sperm um, or have like different slower sperm. Um, and then they can impact select, uh, sexual selection for size over time. And so one of the ones that 
I have seen videos of, even though they're not really fish, they're cephalopods. So like cuttlefish um, are really cool because you have like the dominant male that's like super big. I think they can get up to like three feet or something like that. But the sneaker males tend to be a lot smaller, um, pretty close in size to female cuttlefish. And so this works to their benefit because they kind of go into they have these morphological changes that allows them to appear as females and so they can kind of like sneak into where the um dominant male you know has the females underneath him is like kind of protecting them um or shielding them from other males but the sneaker male because it's kind of like disguised as a female it can just sneak in there and kind of mate with those females um, without being discovered by the dominant male but there are also other examples of this like with brasses um, in salmon. Yeah, for sure. And I, th it's interesting that you mentioned the game theory, because I think like from what I had read about the sneaker males, no one really knows why this is a thing. And like across the animal kingdom, right. There are theories that it may have, you know, a moderating effect, as you kind of mentioned about like the size of animals over time. Cause like, I guess in theory, if the largest, most dominant males were the ones that were passing on their genes constantly, the animals would just in theory, get bigger and bigger. And it's almost like there's a thought that maybe this has a moderating effect on size so that, you know, these animals that are sneaking around that maybe look fem like female presenting of the species, they're sneaking in and like inseminating the female or fertilizing their eggs or whatever they're doing. Um, they're like moderating the size of the animals over time. And yeah, there's thought that because they're not necessarily having these big adornments that maybe a male would have for display, you know, these animals look more like a female or maybe more muted or they're smaller in size. They can just make a heck of a lot more sperm and the sperm doesn't need to work as hard because they can kind of sneak in there and do their thing. So yeah, yeah, that was, kind of, it's really interesting, but I think no one really truly understands why across the board but i think there's a lot of really interesting theories and game theory like applying game theory to it is so like mind-blowing it's so cool so that's neat i didn't know a lot of that stuff i mean i did know um i had heard the cuttlefish stuff before only because um so we have cuttlefish at our facility and i've never actually seen this uh happening in our facility we have dwarf cuttlefish so they're much smaller like the they only get to maybe like you know maybe five inches in length at the max mm -hmm. uh and and that's usually a, a pretty a big size one um but it is like you know because these you know cuttlefish in particular have this amazing ability to color change right and, and camouflage and whatever they can easily copy that of a female and i guess like it's interesting. It's interesting that the males like don't aren't they don't are, they aren't hip to it like the big males the like the aggressive ones who, like they don't notice it. I guess I'm I not think sometimes sure how that they do. Works. I think it's a matter of like you need to be successful and you're not always successful, right? So yeah. I think I've seen it in a couple nature documentaries where it's like fish that are sneaking around and the males are like, "Hell no! What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe they're like the big dumb ones, right? Like they've been used yeah. to just being big oafs for their sure. whole lives, but they're really strong. <laughs> they they end so up they getting get distracted by like other males, so they're like sparring with another large male. Yeah, and I the, think the that's what it usually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> These cuttlefish yeah. are not loyal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Was there anything else about sneaker males that we want to chat about? I guess besides like the benefit of being a sneaker male, but we kind of, I feel like went over that maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just being, maybe it's just like 
a form of like moderation, um, especially when it comes to like selection. Mm-hmm. Um, even though in this case, the females would probably favor cuttlefish or fish in general that are just like bigger. But the fact that you have these sneaker males that are still able to persist. Because to me, if I looked at this, I would like, yeah, these sneaker males or even like satellite males where we didn't really talk about it, but they just kind of hover like Mm -hmm. outside larger, more dominant male territories and kind of Mm. like also do exhibit similar behaviors. But yeah, to me, like that wouldn't really be a thing in this case. Like they would eventually just go away because natural selection would favor the bigger males. But yet they're still able to persist across different species, like again, even in reptiles. Um, Mm. I think there was like some type of lizards that we were looking at in class where it was just like you had the sneaker males, you had the dominant males, and then you had some other type of um, reptile that was exhibiting behaviors. And it was kind of like a trifecta. And they were all just kind of like you had one battling the other, but then the sneaker males would be able to get in and all this stuff going on. So it's really interesting. Yeah, I just did a quick little search because I don't know all the reasons why a female would choose like this smaller male you know, um, it seems like there's a heck of a lot of theories out there and some of them are a little ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) You're Uh you're probably also going to get your like pickup artists in there saying like, Oh, beta males, this or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Cause they they, they try to carry all that over. Right. So, but, um, it seems like some females will prefer the smaller males for whatever reason. Take it's that like pickup artists. Yeah. It's like the females like, yeah, okay, I can spawn with this guy, but then I have this big male who thinks they're his kids that he's going to watch over everything basically. Oh, that's true. 18 yeah. years, 18 years. <laughs> Why doesn't that look like me? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like you can imagine the cuttlefish is born it's like all right so like get a good look at your father like your father so like make sure you like like camouflage yourself just like him okay yeah so it'll be our secret <laughs> it's interesting i i just found an article too about looking i think this is these are ras from the picture they look like ras i think so and they looked at the the brain makeup of um mm. sneaker males and they're actually like their neuron makeup and etc is more similar to the females oh okay so they're they're a lot more nice intelligent Mm -hmm. than these big oafs over here apparently they also (laughs) express more genes for neuroplasticity so they can like adapt to environments and changes differently than say a big big brute male wow i don't like this Ch- change makes me upset i don't know ah, <laughs> but yeah it looks like it's like something that i think we could like talk about for just about forever but i don't think it's really totally understood why a female <laughs> might choose i also saw a brief little thing about like there's a thought that the less dominant males sneaker males would help with like nurturing the babies because it looks like oh. a female and can hang out with this brood and help raise babies yeah, but that depends on this. Oh, it just looks like that, or because like those species don't nest, like cuttlefish don't help raise. Right? Sure, sure, but like some fish do have a little bit of parental brood care, oh, right? Sure, I'm talking. Sure. This is fish that I'm talking about. So ah, okay, sorry, I forgot. And, <laughs> We've and really it, been on cuttlefish. <laughs> I know. And, and in this case, this is also a damselfly, so it's a uh, uh, invertebrate. So oh cool. oh, cool. Okay, shout out to all our damselfly listeners. Sure. Kind of. Um, all right, let's uh let's move on. So, so sure. sequential hermaphrodites are a really 
very interesting. Um, and there's a couple different kinds. There's protoandrous, protoandrous, protogynous, and series bidirectional. I don't remember what that last one is, but serial bidirectional means they can go either way multiple times. Oh, I guess I should have context clues, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm an idiot. I, <laughs> no, I think okay. I'm one of those big stupid males. I think I just realized. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I think so pro so protandrous is that starts male and turns female, and then protogynous is the opposite, starts female and turns male. I don't remember which one is which. Yeah, that from the context clues, I would say yes. Okay, cool. So then given that, um, if you guys have seen Blue Planet 2, there's a really cool piece in there about this thing called the Asian sheep's head wrasse. I don't, I'm not going to give you the scientific name, but you can look it up. And these ones are, are really neat. So they start out as female and they kind of just look like your average saltwater fish, I guess. Um, you know, and what happens is then uh, during this episode, they like go into a cave and basically like transform into a male and the males are nuts. Like the males have this like uh, gigantic bulbed forehead. Obviously they have testes and they're super aggressive. They have these big teeth. I mean, wrasses all have like those teeth at the front, but they're just like, really, they just look like terrifying basically. So they come out of the cave and they're like ready to fight. Um, so it's kind of crazy that they have these different uh, um, chapters in their life where they spend this time being a female, probably laying eggs, et cetera. And then at some point, I'm not sure exactly what the trigger is because like, at least in the in the documentary or like in the in the show, you know, it shows multiple males fighting. So I don't think it's like clownfish or some other things where it's like the presence of another male or another female affects it necessarily. But maybe there is something hormonal that goes on there. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Or is it like detection of like the population? And so if there's a lot of females, like if there's like a skewed ratio. And so if there's like a lot of females, like does that kind of like trigger them to turn into a male i'm not yeah i'm not 100 sure christine you don't know do you uh, i think that's one of the triggers for sure in certain species when it's like there's a, a dearth of males the females mm -hmm. will masculinize and i think in this case <clears throat> with the sheep's head wrasse i think this is the case with a lot of wrasse they this what you're talking about is a super male basically it's mm. a that's a one-way transformation so like they become male and they become really male like ridiculous overexpression of like the secondary sexual characteristics of characteristics of mm. a male fish so um and yeah like that's a one-way trip it's, they're not going back at that point Gosh, you. yeah yeah they look really extreme <laughs> yeah and i think like there's one i was going to mention and i can just talk about super males here because it kind of just fits in um where this actually happened at the national aquarium with a ras uh, I think it was a humphead mm. wrasse. So similar species, but not the exact same species. And they had a pair in one of their big tanks um, and the male passed away of old age. So the female Cena, who was like one tenth his size, turned into a super male, basically. So they um, gained all that weight and everything, right? Like, Yeah, it, yeah, it's wild. There's actually, the National Aquarium has a really interesting story uh, about Cena. I think it's Cena or Senna. It's C-E-N-A is the name of the fish. Like John Cena? <laughs> yeah. da, 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 da. <laughs> you need that drop. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that'd be right. <laughs> and his name is John Cena! <laughs> Thank you.
yeah so yeah so she became a super male and it's wild how different she looks so um i'm just trying to see if they said how much bigger she got but um yeah super male can be 420 pounds in, and seven and a half feet long wow yeah it's a very very large fish and i think That's, they said it's definitely that, bigger than i thought it would be yeah it's a very very <laughs> big fish crazy yeah. That's yeah. nuts. Yeah. When she first got to the aquarium as a juvenile female, she was about three inches long. Oh my goodness. Aww. Yeah. So cute. Yeah. So <laughs> it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, so basically, as Amber mentioned, like this fish is filling a niche that just it's just kind of a biological process that's happening where there's no male in that space anymore. So I'm gonna change into a super male. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, sort of the reverse of that is clownfish. So, uh, clown in clownfish, first of all, the dominant ones are female, and the rest of the population is male. So, as opposed to the sheep's head wrasse, where it took a bunch of females and then they turned male, this is the way this one works. And so, the female is kind of the primary breeder, and the rest are just chilling. Um, and then, as time goes on, if that female dies, then the next most dominant male becomes the female, right? So I believe oh, that would be protogynous, okay. um, if I'm going going correctly with assuming that uh, that when they're all <clears throat> wait so the, no that no I'm sorry that would be protandrous protandrous yeah so the males the males transition to female when there's a need yes that's interesting. Yeah. So like basically I said like the dominant one is female. So like the be they're like the Beyonce's of the ocean. Like they're really They're like the queens. Okay. They rule all. And that's all you need to know. But it is funny. I mean, this is a funny fact for basically just fish people because finding Nemo would really not make sense. The story doesn't make sense, right? Like, that's the thing we always say because, like, the idea is that once, what was Marlon's wife's name? Was it Coral? I forget. I think Coral's right. Was it Coral? Oh, this is really good. <laughs> Amber's trying not to pretend like she's in the fan club. <laughs> It's coral. It's coral. Um, yeah. So Mar once coral dies, Marlin should have turned into a female. And uh, yeah, and I guess, yeah, that would have been it, right? And they would have been another male and a female instead of, of But two I thought males. Nemo was the dominant one. Was Nemo the dominant? Would you I say mean, that? Nemo is a baby. He's the little one. He's the oh. baby with the tiny fin. She said she's dropping in fakes <laughs> so that we talk. <laughs> No, yeah. So that that would be the idea. Um, and anyway, yeah. So that's all I have to say about that. But I th do think that that's very interesting. I know there was some research that was going on uh, after I left Janelia. Um, they started doing work with clownfish, and I was like, "Dang it, I missed out." <laughs> but I was very interested to see what exactly they were doing with them because I think they were looking at like how on earth these mechanisms work, right? Like they have to. There probably has to be some level of hormonal like detection or something happening where they're like either that or i don't think it's all visual but they have to understand that like oh there's no female anymore giving off the certain hormone so then the next mm -hmm. male would move up so it's quite quite amazing and so you were saying there were more males than females in these groupings generally 
Uh, yes, yes. Okay, the union, cool. Yeah, yeah. Usually it was a bunch. It was a bunch of males and then just like a single female. Okay, so. cool. Because yeah, it's the other way around. I think with the the protogynous species. So like, okay, yeah. I think it said something about like with at least with super males because you have regular males as well in a lot of these species, but super males they're like less than one percent of like the total population if you were to survey like in the wild oh. I, th I think it requires a ton amount of energy and you probably put yourself at risk to get eaten or caught oh that's true because you know, you're so gigantic and <laughs> you're bright and gigantic and just out there yeah exactly exactly <laughs> the net catches you <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's interesting too because it's like i think about like we see this sometimes with even zebrafish, and I used to see it with sword tails. I don't know, Josh, if you ever kept any sword tails, but um, and maybe just live bears in general. But as they age, and we see this kind of with zebrafish, where like as these fish get older, they kind of just become, um, I guess, androgynous. You know, they look hmm. less female or male. Um, and with sword tails, when I used to breed them, the ones that were getting really long in the tooth, the females would masculinize and they would have, you know, their little, um, that reproductive fin. What's the term for that again? Gonopodium. Gonopodium. Thank you. So they would gotcha. grow this like pseudo gonopodium. Oh, uh, wow. It didn't work as far as I know. It just was there. But it's interesting to think like what goes into like, you know, growing additional tissues versus yeah. say like, you know, with the clownfish, they have to absorb some pretty significant tissues and then like grow additional ones. I don't know. It's so strange, like the amount of like, you know, energy that probably goes into the development of these like gonads, etc. Mm. Yeah, but it's an adaptation that is really useful for if part of your population gets wiped out or whatever. I think that that's what's so nice about it, right? Like if you get isolated or something like that, it's just a good way to, it's a good answer to some of the trials that these fish have to go through. So for sure. um, it's neat adaptation. Uh, we have mangrove killifish in here too. I don't mm -hmm. remember. Did I write this? <laughs> I probably I prob did. I think I did because I had them in our facility. Okay, yeah, go ahead. So feel sure. free. Sure. So mangrove killies, not true killies. So please don't shoot me. They're killy like <laughs> fish. Um, yeah, we're using a lot of common names here. Yeah. So bear with us. Yeah. Um, but if you search mangrove killie fish, you'll find the pictures of them. They're kind of drab looking little fishies. They're cute, though. Um, they actually have both sets of reproductive organs, and they can fertilize their own eggs internally. So mm. yeah, so they are and they'll either be hermaphrodites or just straight up males. There's no actual true females for these guys. Um, and so the hermaphrodites either self-fertilize or they mate with males. Um, and the hermaphrodites don't mate with each other. So I'm not sure that we ever had any actual males in our facility. Um, hmm. We just had these fish that were just constantly making eggs. And it's like, please, <laughs> please stop. Please stop. <laughs> like, enough like that I sounds amazing <laughs> well they didn't reproduce a lot of eggs at any one time so that was the unfortunate thing we weren't uh. doing developmental stuff with these guys the researcher that was working with them was actually doing work on um uh developmental plasticity of like limbs so sh she was researching limbs and how limbs develop um and how we kind of went from water to land so uh she was using these guys because they technically will lay their eggs outside of water, but they're already fertilized at that point. So, and we, we kept them in these little pea cups, like urine sample cups. And it's <laughs> like, 
I only have so many of these. Please stop making. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you can't really get them to stop when they're just doing it with themselves. So that's yeah. true. Pretty tough. <laughs> Anytime, anywhere. Exactly. Oh man. Like... And then just stick your eggs on the roof of your peacup, and you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Damn teenagers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. Uh, cool. And then, um, did you talk about super males already? I think we I talked did. about this. Yeah, we can okay. totally skip that. So we can move on. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. I see Cena from the national aquarium. Mm-hmm. Very nice yep. <laughs> at the drop. Okay. So I find our next, uh, little bullet point. Very interesting. Um, I don't know how many of you guys have heard this before about something called sexual parasitism. Um, and I wrote in here that there are some deep sea anglerfish that do it, or maybe Christine wrote this. I did I that just because I wanted to make sure that it's just some species because people think that all ang- uh, anglerfish do this, it's just some species. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I'm just being pedantic. Right, that's people. that's <laughs> <laughs> most I, definitely. I legit saw like pedantic a Twitter th- about semantics. Yeah, <laughs> I t- saw a Twitter thread once where someone who worked with anglerfish was like, Listen, stop asking me about whether my fish do this. They don't. So, oh. <laughs> like, yeah, I get it. So, anyway, I'm just trying to pass along the goodwill that it's only some species, but they're very cool species. <laughs> So, all right, so let's explain like what exactly happens here. I don't know enough about the mechanism, but essentially what happens is it's like these tiny so the males are much smaller than the female of these of this anglerfish, and this is the example we're using. I don't know what other species they do it uh, that does this, but um, so they attach themselves to the f- female, they usually just like press their head against the female, um, and it kind of binds this tissue starts to bind there and the female basically absorbs the male into her body like they fuse together over time and the male basically ceases ceases to be a single entity fish and just becomes like a sack of sperm (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i wouldn't even see say parasite because he like I don't even know if it still continues i don't even know if it's still a fish at that point like i think the brain goes away and stuff like i think it's like really just i don't know do you remember christine <laughs> yeah so i the the term is technically sexual parasitism because i think it's more than just like it's it's fine to simplify it that it's just basically a bag of sperm live in mm-hmm. the dream right so <laughs> <laughs> but uh i think it actually has something also to do with like he's also hooked into like the lymphatic system and like maybe also oh, the okay. system oh, that's as well. right mm-hmm. so um well there has to be some that's interesting too right if you think about immune system and immune responses there has to be something that allows this male to survive otherwise it would just be like graft versus host right like disease like like yeah. the body's immune system yeah. of the female would just like be like oh shoot this is a foreign body like and just destroy but yeah, that's crazy. I'm sure if there's someone out there studying that, I'm sure that is so interesting for immunity and all sorts of stuff. I'd love to see some glamour shots of these beautiful, beautiful fish. They don't look like big slimy lumps at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had just seen, that I think it's so like terrible. 150 or 160 species, but they're still not very well known. Like oh, the yeah. diversity of species that live in the deep sea is insane. And like, we don't really have any knowledge of how most of them work so no the only one i can think of is from finding nemo oh when they go too deep (laughs) i feel like that one's really actually kind of pretty compared to some of them like some of them just look like 
like if a child was given a brown crayon and they were, and they were like, draw an anglerfish. And they'd be like, what's an anglerfish? I don't know. Just draw what you think it looks like. And then that's that's basically what it looks like. <laughs> so, and it looks like that actually this method of like reproduction was kind of like I talked about in a previous episode about how um, electric organs evolve separately in mm. several. It looks like this also evolved or was invented several times um, independently in like anglerfish as a group. Man, and it looks... that you don't need no man. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you need his immune system and his sperm because it seems like Fine. that's the case. <laughs> yeah, I take it all back. <laughs> there you go. Oh wait, like, you wrote on here the lactogene responsible for tissue rejection. So I'm an idiot. Uh, no, you're yeah, fine. I, I was saying that, and then I did not. Yeah, so great. <laughs> um, great. Any any other thoughts about sexual parasitism? Very mm -hmm. interesting. I think that's the probably the most interesting one of the most interesting methods by far of like reproduction. It's because it's insane. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I don't think I have anything else to add. All right, let's move on to everyone's favorite beautiful animal uh, called seahorses. So, uh, well, not seahorses specifically, but we're talking about something called paternal brooding. But a lot of people are familiar with this, that seahorses, that, the, that they've maybe seen visual of a male expelling the babies and being like oh exactly how does exactly does that work so first of all seahorses are a type of pipe fish so i feel like they should be called horse fishes <laughs> i don't know why i just feel like that makes more sense because otherwise you know we don't want we don't want people getting confused but uh i pulled this right from the noah website it says after completing an elaborate courtship dance that may go on for hours or days which is like oh my gosh it's a long time uh the female seahorse transfers her mature eggs so after uh, oh, yeah. So she transfers mature eggs that are unfertilized into the male's brood pouch, and then he fertilizes them. So he keeps them in his belly. And then at the end of the gestation period, which is a, from two to four weeks, um, he expels uh, expels little baby seahorses, basically. And it comes out like basically what looks like the belly button. There's like a hole, and they just like just pump it like... Um, how do you call those things they use to stoke fires? I forget what they're called. A bellow bellows, or something. Bellows. Yeah, they like basically like bellow all the babies out. But it's crazy. I mean, it's a great way to first of. I mean, I don't know what the benefit is to having the male take care of them over the female. Like, I don't know what the benefit is, but I do know that certainly keeping them inside the belly like that until they're like little free swimming seahorses is really uh, a great way to keep them alive, right? As opposed to if they're just like immediately shot out as eggs. Is it just the seahorses in that group, or is it the pipe fishes as well that do this? I don't think pipe fish do this, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that would be a really good question. I don't know. Uh, I just I'm a nerd when it comes to like the um, the like scientific names of some of these guys, and uh, I just love like the pipe fishes and the seahorses are all like signathids, which means like fused jaw because they have that big long snoot kind of thing. Oh. Their mouths can't open. They're like the anteaters of the sea. They just have like a fused jaw that they can just suck things in with, you know. So, um, but I was just wondering if this is something that happens with the other, the rest of the, um, the rest of that group. Interesting. It says that. 
Male pipefish are the choosy ones about their partners. Oh, sure. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. 100% they are. Uh, yeah, because I guess because they're the ones expending all the energy. That's so interesting, right? Like the idea that like they're expending all the energy, like, like you know, raising the babies and like keeping these fertilized eggs and growing them. So like they are choosy. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. And I guess like, do we consider, and I mean, this is, we're kind of back to freshwater fishery a little bit, but is it also considered like, paternal brooding with like mouth brooding i don't know that cichlids do the males do any mouth brooding i know there are other some other fish that do that though right uh the males i i don't know of any male cichlids that do mouth brooding on its own but the male uh certain male cichlids will like allow the babies to go inside and when there's predator danger that's the only time but they don't do like brooding of the eggs like a lot of the females do okay that I i know of male mouth brooding may be like a thing in in some marine fish though so i just don't know exactly oh bangai cardinal fish bangai cardinals are mm-hmm. you serious mm-hmm. i did not know that paternal mouth brooders what yeah that's crazy to me mm-hmm. i just gotta make sure i'm thinking of the right thing sorry they're commonly bred in captivity now too like they breed pretty they're beautiful. well beautiful this is what I like. I need to. I promise my wife, like, if we ever get a house someday, I'm gonna mm-hmm. get a saltwater tank. Like, I need to be able to have like an RO, <laughs> like yep. an RO water maker. You know, it's so, like if we get that, or maybe we'll do it beforehand. But like, we're gonna do a saltwater tank at some point. And I promise, Christine, you have my word. It will be so packed, chock full of beautiful things. There you go. It will not be as sparse Gross. as my tank. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on (laughs) yeah i think there are other like brooders as well like the um this is a freshwater fish so uh my apologies but like you've heard of the cuckoo catfish right uh no okay so they take advantage of the fact that cichlids are mouth brooders and they will lay their eggs in cichlids mouths or like spread oh, their eggs oh, i have heard of this yeah oh, like a cuckoo, cuckoo bird catfish. exactly they don't look like a bird but they they act like a cuckoo so yeah so does the cuckoo bird uh, do they do that too right where they like put their egg in with the, mm-hmm. yeah, with the and they push the <laughs> other ones out yeah let's just make sure that everyone understands this because nature is metal as hell okay yep. so the cuckoo bird lays an egg like in a nest of another species of birds. And then when that baby <laughs> hatches out, it pushes all of his like foster yep. <laughs> like brothers and sisters <laughs> out of the nest. Yep. And then like dominates the like yep. and then the new mom that has like inadvertently adopted this baby is now just feeding a and species it's that's not its own. Yeah, they get much bigger, much faster. They're huge <laughs> compared to the other birds. Yeah, it's and so the, mean. the trope is always cuckoos, but cowbirds do that too. And cowbirds, you'll see around a heck of a lot more, especially live in like Eastern North America. Cowbirds oh, are God. also brood parasites. So I really don't. It's so awful. But yeah, brood parasite birds are insane. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. those are so nuts. So sorry, that's no, a digression. The, the cuckoo catfish, <laughs> though, like they will lay their eggs in such a way. I think it's that the the female or the male, whoever's br- mouth brooding in this group of cichlids will it'll pick those eggs up because they look similar mm-hmm. but then those cuckoo catfish hatch first and then they eat all of the <gasps> other babies that are in oh, the mouth oh yeah that makes sense because yeah. when they're in the mouth they're like real they're real easy to get murdered like they're, sure. they're so soft 
Yeah, yeah, hundred percent for sure. Can okay. yeah, but yeah. So I I don't I'm not sure what the like evolutionary benefit is to having males look after the offspring, but I mean mm. it does mean that females can just go on and keep making more brood, right? They don't have to expend energy to like do paternal care, so they can just f off and make eat a bunch and make more babies, right? So yeah. And then the male so. can the male can make sure that you know he's the one responsible to make sure that every single one of his babies survives, right? Uh huh. So it's true. She just ubers him home. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Here's a reed. Hold on to this reed. I'll see you later. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, the last topic uh, is, that I put on here is sharks. And boy, did I not write a lot of information, but I'm hoping that uh, you guys can fill in the 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 empty yeah. things if you if you remember. So there's a couple. Go ahead. I would say I feel like this could be a whole episode, but yeah. Oh, man. So we probably will do a whole episode about sharks, um, but sharks yeah. are fish. So we wanted to just not say that they don't exist. Yeah. Um, They're not bony fish, though. Yeah, as we've already established. So, but anyway, there's a couple of different types of reproduction with these guys. So depending on how uh, these babies are born, I guess, uh, there is your typical ov oviparity. This is true of reptiles as well, I think, like snakes and stuff, right? There's mm -hmm. like certain. Yep. So there's oviparity, which is like your typical like laying eggs, right? So you just, um, there's mating that occurs. I want to say like, uh actually this is a good i don't know if you guys know this how how often is there external fertilization going on in sharks does it happen at all i don't think so okay so it's i think it's all internal right because... what do you think amber i don't think there's any external fertilization with sharks yeah i don't know you're gonna have to ask this on your <laughs> <laughs> i am 99 certain there's no external fertilization it's all like the males have intromission organs those are those claspers that the males have mm -hmm. and that is for internal fertilization yes. as i told everyone at SeaWorld when i was like eight out loud <laughs> good for you i, I can was just like, imagine it <laughs> i was there and like looking at and the you know shark what tank else? yeah and i was like hey mom and dad you know how you can tell the difference between male and female sharks and i'm like claspers those are the sex organs and the male <laughs> inserts them in the female and fertilizes the eggs and then the shark either gives birth or lays eggs and the like interpreter person that was by the tank was like well she's right everyone's like covering their children's yeah. ears and i'm shouting because i am like a little eight-year-old or whatever just yelling at the top of my lungs about like how much of a know-it-all i am i still do that today though so we appreciate you right. <laughs> Anyway, so oviparity is typical egg laying. So things like I wrote dog sharks. There's a bunch of species, I'm sure. Um, but they basically are the ones that are like a lot of times like wrapping their eggs around plants and corals and stuff like that. Uh, that shark eggs are really cool looking too, at least these kinds. Um, I think that a lot of them are really neat shapes. So definitely Google that. <laughs> you know what people um, call them sometimes? Shark eggs? Yeah. Shark. I don't know. Shark do, eggs. Do you know, Amber? <laughs> Wait, the mermaid purses? Yeah, they call oh, them yeah, mermaid right. purses. <laughs> they call Very them mermaid nice. purses. Gold yeah. star amber. <laughs> and sometimes when you go to an aquarium and like they have chain cat sharks or whatever bamboo sharks, you'll actually see they'll have this cool display where they'll have the eggs with a window in it. Have you guys ever seen that? 
Yep. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We so had them at a pet store for some reason. We really like, we had. Yeah, I think um, maybe like dog. Yeah, maybe it was dog heads. I, I don't remember what kind of shark it was that mm-hmm. we had, but like we were selling them in our in our. So we would get in like shark eggs that were fertilized, and they Probably were just like, like bamboo these, sharks or something. Maybe I don't remember, yeah. but yeah, they were cool. You could see them develop, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's awesome to see it with a backlight. I think. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. You, lots of aquariums have those kind of cool displays. So mm-hmm. cool. Uh, so then there's something called viviparity, uh, and that's uh, basically like live birth. So, um, you know, these sharks basically are giving birth to, uh, you know, ready to go offspring that just swim out and they're off to the races. I guess they figure out how to eat pretty quickly. Instinct is always amazing to me in, in animals, like how they're able to like figure out how to survive so quickly. Um, but this is true of lots of sharks again, but I have it down here. Bonnet heads, black tip reef sharks, and zebra sharks. So, uh, of sure, there are many more than that. Is that the uh, rays as well? The rays that um, I think rays are live bearing, so they're viviparous, mm-hmm. right? And then I you've you've got skates so. are oviparous, right? So skates lay eggs. They're like quote yeah. unquote simpler, right? Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if you guys have ever seen a like a cow nose ray or one of those like commonly kept in captivity rays give birth. Mm-mm. They, I don't they think give, so. They give birth to like a baby at a time, and it's like wrapped up like a little burrito because it's like little fins have oh. to be somewhere, right? Oh, <laughs> so it's yeah. It's like giving birth to a little ray burrito. It's kind of cute. <laughs> so cute. I love yeah. it. I'm going to Google They're that after adorable. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look up like cow nose ray birth. You'll find maybe even like spotted eagle rays. You'll find some videos. They're very, very cute. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then of course, last but not least, in another episode of Nature is Metal, <laughs> Ovo, Ovo Viviparity, where basically the babies are they're kind of like eggs that are hatching inside the mom without like a full eggshell. It's usually just a membrane. Um, and then and a lot of these species participate in something called intrauterine cannibalism, which means that they just eat their brothers and sisters in the womb. Uh, I don't know if they eat so like a great white shark, for instance, does it eat? all of its siblings and then i don't know if that's a great white shark thing it's a sand tiger shark thing okay i take that back then i thought it was great whites but maybe it maybe it's sand tigers okay so sand let me... tigers for sure do oh, that yeah. i could have um, sworn but now i now i'm not so sure <laughs> so sand tigers definitely do i remembered seeing yeah. that so yeah. um either way it's it's very brutal and uh they eat they eat their siblings and i don't know if that just means there's always one that hatches out or if there's multiple that like basically are are you know um survive uh but yeah that's the that's sort of the last aspect of uh how these guys are born so it's it's pretty nuts but so yeah anyway we'll do a whole episode on sharks which i think will be a lot of fun yeah we Uh, need to get some cool shark people on amber you can also talk about shark stuff as well yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i'm sure we can definitely find somebody in the shark science community Absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. And we could just pepper them with questions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great too. Tell us all things about sharks. Yes, so I don't sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry yeah. if I offended anyone with my incorrect shark facts, but I think I got some of it at least. So <laughs> you're all good. You're all good. Um, all right. Yeah, I think is that everything that we wanted to cover? I think that's it. Any last words? I was just going to say, like, 
if we miss something, please drop us a line and it's something we can talk about in a future episode. Um, or if there's something that you want to hear more about, we can always do an episode about that too. Um, I'm sure we could like elaborate on some of these things and do a little bit more research and maybe even have someone who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> Come on oh, yeah. and join us. For if sure. we don't know, we'll find someone who does. Yeah, absolutely. We, we know a good amount of people in the aquatics world, I feel like. Oh, the humble brag. I mean, no, that was just a straight brag. <laughs> sure. If it was, if it was like, oh man, I'm always inundated with tons of terrible emails from all these like experts. They're just begging <laughs> to come and they're join just us. Begging to come on the pod. <laughs> hey, life goals, right? Life goals. All right. Well, should we wrap it up then? Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Another one in the can. Thanks all for listening to Getting Fishy with it. You can find our website with show notes at gettingfishypod.substack.com. You can find us on Twitter at gettingfishypod and on Instagram at gettingfishypod. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Getting Fishy with it. If you want to drop us an email, you can send your complaints or questions to gettingfishypod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme music is Best Time by Fast Sounds, and our audio is edited by the great Amber Park Chiadini. Yay! Yay! <laughs> We've been getting fishy with it, so keep schooling, my friends, because knowledge is power. 